Good morning, church. This morning's reading is from 1 Proverbs 1, oh, sorry, Proverbs 1, um, verse 1 to 7. So if you can turn there with me, that would be great. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance, for understanding the proverbs and the parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, James, very much indeed. Um, yeah, well, as, as you know, next week, Gillian and I won't be here, but uh, we're starting a new series here at St. Barnabas next Sunday morning, Major Messages from Minor Prophets. Uh, if you were with us last year, we had a go at that, and we're continuing it again this year. So five Sunday mornings looking at the, the Minor Prophets. Not a part of the Bible that many people are very familiar with, and uh, I look forward to it enormously. Uh, I also want to say a special thank you to Anne for standing in while Alice is away. We really appreciate your ministry to us. Thank you very much indeed for being here. And uh, now, as we come to Proverbs, won't you please have Proverbs chapter 1 open in front of you, and, um, and I will pray as we begin. Well, our gracious Heavenly Father, you have promised to be with your church, watching over us, protecting us, providing all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you that you know our past and understand it completely, that you know our needs and are able to meet them adequately, that you know our destiny and are able to prepare us for it perfectly. So will you come to us now and speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, that each one of us might be conscious that we're listening to the voice of the Lord Jesus, calling us now to follow him into the future. And it is in his name that we ask it. Amen. Well, for the last few uh, weeks, we've been in a series on the life of Solomon. And uh, in a previous study, we saw that there was uh, a moment early in Solomon's reign when he had to make a really tough decision. Uh, Two prostitutes came to him with a dispute. Do you remember that? Uh, Both of them had babies. One of the babies had died. And they asked Solomon to decide which of them 
was the baby's real mother. It was a sad story and in many ways a rather dark story. But uh, as I was reflecting on it, I think one of the things that stands out from that story is that in that particular situation, the Ten Commandments didn't help Solomon very much. They didn't really help him make a wise decision. There was no prophet on hand to bring him a supernatural word from God. So I think the question arising from that story was what kind of help did God give Solomon? Because there's a sense, isn't there, in which we often find ourselves in situations where we, we've got to make a decision and the word of God doesn't actually tell us directly what we ought to do. In fact, if you think about it, Most of the decisions that we make in life are not decisions where the moral law of God is immediately relevant. So, for example, um, in the home group, when it comes to praying for one another, it's very striking how often people ask for prayer about a particular decision that they have to make. And when that happens, I think it's just worth asking ourselves, are they asking for help in making a decision between right and wrong? Because actually, more often than not, that is not the issue. So let me give you an absurd illustration to make the point. It's not very often, is it, that somebody comes to the home group and says, you know, I'm finding my boss at work extremely difficult at the moment, Please, will you pray about whether I should murder him or not? Uh, I mean, if somebody did ask for that particular prayer, obviously the Ten Commandments would be really rather useful, wouldn't they? But by and large, people don't ask for prayers like that. Because most of the decisions we have to make in life are between two options, which as far as we know, are not morally wrong. And in those moments, what we need is wisdom in order to make a sound decision. A decision which demonstrates insight into the realities of the particular circumstances that we happen to be dealing with. Now in our series, we spent the first few weeks looking at the account of Solomon's life as it's recorded in the book of 1 Kings. But then towards the end of the series, we've been looking at some of the things that Solomon wrote. So we've looked at Song of Songs, we've looked at Ecclesiastes, and this morning for our final study, we're looking at the book of Proverbs. Now we've already seen uh, that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs during his lifetime, of which about 800 are recorded in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs is one of the five books in the Old Testament which from earliest times Christians have seen to be full of wisdom. But I should say they're not the only books in the Bible which give us wisdom. So for example, the letter of James in the New Testament is also full of wisdom. 
But my aim this morning is to try and motivate us to read the book of Proverbs for ourselves so that we know where to go for wisdom when we need it. If you've ever dipped into the book of Proverbs, you'll know, I think, that it can be a rather frustrating experience. Uh, It's a bit like, I think, walking along a pebble beach. And if you've walked across a pebble beach, there you are, you're walking across it, and every now and again you find an interesting pebble down there, and you pick it up and you have a look at it. You say, well, that's very interesting, and you put it back down, and you walk a bit further, and you oh, that's an interesting pebble, and you pick that one up, you look at it. It's very different from the last one. Uh, you look at it, and you, you put it down. But... Um, Reading Proverbs, I think, can be rather like that. It's not always clear how the book fits together or how we should tackle it. Uh, The first nine chapters of the book are a bit uh, more straightforward than the rest. They hang together rather more coherently. They're an introduction to the book as a whole. And the passage that we're looking at this morning is an introduction to the introduction, if that makes any sense. And uh, from those seven verses, I want to make six short observations about it to help us get a feel for the book of Proverbs as a whole. Uh, And in case you're feeling rather anxious that there are six of them, I assure you that they are short and we will finish on time. So, observation number one. Wisdom is about coping with the real world. Wisdom is about coping with the real world. Uh, Come to verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. I should say at this point that Solomon didn't write the whole thing. Uh, Later on in chapter 22, we come across a heading that says the sayings of the wise. And then there are a couple of other authors mentioned in chapters 30 and 31. And in chapter 25, we find that uh, King Hezekiah had a whole bank of editors who were trying to arrange some of these proverbs in, in a kind of orderly way. So proverbs is not all by King Solomon. But the whole wisdom business in Israel was overseen by people with practical responsibilities. Kings, princes, civil servants, that kind of thing. People who in everyday life found themselves having to make difficult decisions. The word wise in its original form simply means skillful. So in Exodus 31 verse 6, when the tabernacle was being constructed, uh, we're told that the craftsmen who were working on it were what we call skilled. But the word in the original actually means wise. So uh, if I take a screwdriver out of my toolbox at home, and use it as a hammer to hammer in a nail, well, that's not very wise because the screwdriver will probably break 
and the nail won't be hammered in properly. That is not the work of a skilled or a wise craftsman. So wisdom is the ability to cope with the real world, with all of the pressures of decisions and relationships, in the same way that a skilled craftsman knows how to handle wood or stone or whatever it is he happens to be working with. So wisdom is practical. It's about the real world. Observation number one. Observation number two. Wisdom is to train real human beings. Now, in verses two and three, uh, we're told that Proverbs are for attaining wisdom, I think James said instruction, my translation has the word discipline, attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined or instructed and prudent life. And that word discipline or instruction reflects the fact that the people who need wisdom which is you and me, are imperfect people. Uh, Some people think that uh, when we're born, uh, we're a bit like a brand new computer, and all that's needed is uh, some software and uh, a little bit of programming, and everything will work properly. But actually that's not quite right, because it ignores the fact that we are all born with a defect, with an inner corruption. And the result of that is that we are forever thinking crookedly and behaving crookedly. And therefore we need this discipline or instruction, not as a one-off, but as a way of life. And that's what wisdom gives us. It's for real people in the real world. Observation number three. Aren't we moving along quickly? Observation number three. Wisdom is moral, not just intellectual. So at the end of verse three, notice this. It's about doing what is right and just and fair. It's really important for us to understand this. Because, you see, in our culture, we've inherited a belief from the Greeks, actually, and particularly a man called Plato, that the basic problem with human beings is ignorance. Actually, interestingly, that was something they said in the New South Africa, wasn't it? If we sort out people's ignorance, everything will be fine. And the Greeks were always saying that. They said, if we focus on training our minds, training our reason, so that we can see what the good thing to do is, we will naturally do it. But unfortunately, you see, that's not how real human beings operate, is it? James says in his letter that if anyone knows the good he ought to do but doesn't do it, he sins. And that's exactly right, isn't it? So often we do know what the right thing to do is, and we don't do it. So wisdom is moral, 
not just intellectual. Very important to understand that. It's to do with changing our will as well as informing our reason. It's about training real people in the real world to do the right thing. Observation number four. Notice in verses four and five that two different types of people are mentioned. So in verse four, that wisdom is forgiving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Now it's important to understand that in the Bible, simple does not mean mentally ill. You know, it's not talking about someone who's been born with a mental problem. No, in the Bible, the word simple is talking about someone who is inexperienced. It means almost the same, actually, as being young, which is in the second line of that verse. It's describing the, the person who needs to grow up into maturity in order that they can relate well to other people and can cope well with life in the real world. And if that's us, which I guess it is, we need wisdom. That's what verse 4 is saying, but it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. Now, if you think about it, that is actually the opposite of verse 4, isn't it? Uh, These are people who've been learning all their lives. Uh, They've grown into a measure of maturity and wisdom. But the point that verse 5 is making is that no believer ever graduates from the school of wisdom. So Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So we never actually graduate from the school of wisdom. And anybody who thinks that they have has actually unmatriculated or dematriculated. So instead of coming out top of the school, what they've actually done is gone all the way back down to the bottom. Because learning wisdom is for all stages of life. I've told a number of you before that when Gillian and I were new Christians, we were discipled for many years by a converted Hindu called Vijay. Vijay has always loved the book of Proverbs. And uh, when his children were small, he would read them a chapter of Proverbs every single night. One of his favorites is Proverbs 15, verse 1, which says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. Well, such was BJ's passion for telling other people about Jesus that he would often drive huge distances late at night when he was far too old to be doing that. And on one occasion, Vijay was 
driving home from one of these night uh, meetings at night time, and he fell asleep at the wheel of his car, and inevitably he crashed into someone else. And the driver of the other car was livid. You know, he got out of his car, he stormed across to VJ, he was really giving him a piece of his mind, and uh, VJ says that in that moment, Proverbs 15.1 popped into his mind. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And he says that instead of being defensive, um, he remained very calm, very gentle. He said he was terribly sorry, he took full responsibility for all of the damage, and immediately the other man's wrath evaporated, just went away. And whilst they were waiting for the tow truck to arrive, Vijay was able to share the gospel with this man. And uh, if you've ever met Vijay, you'll know that that would have been entirely the natural thing for him to do. So can you see that in that very tense situation, his gentle answer turned away wrath and created an opportunity for him to tell somebody about Jesus. So wisdom is for real people in the real world teaching us to do the right thing at all stages of life. Observation number five. Wisdom draws us into the learning process. Wisdom draws us into the learning process. Because verse 6 tells us the kind of literature that we're dealing with in this book. And it's very different from a lot of the rest of the Bible. Wisdom, it says, is for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So if you like, Proverbs uses a very different tone of voice to the tone of voice that we find in other parts of the Bible. So for example, uh, the law says, you shall do this, you shall not do that, and we tremble because we know what we ought or ought not to be doing. Uh, And the prophet says, hear the word of the Lord. And we tremble because it's God speaking. But the wisdom writer, he comes alongside us, so to speak, in our journey through life. And he says, well, just pause for a moment. Take a breath. Uh, Look at the people all around you. Look at what's happening in the world around you. And let me help you ask hard questions about that. Let me sharpen your eyesight as you look at these things. And let me pose some riddles to make you think. So the proverb writers say things like Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. You might like to turn to it. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24. Proverbs 11, verse 24. Now in this example, uh, the wisdom writer, he he comes alongside and he says, I wonder if you've noticed this. Uh, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Isn't that interesting? 
This man's giving freely and he gets even richer. But then there's somebody else over here, uh, another person who is withholding unduly, but he comes to poverty. And the writer's saying to us, well, I wonder if you've noticed that. Isn't it interesting? And I wonder why that might be. He doesn't actually give us an explanation, so we've got to think about it for ourselves. We've got to turn it over in our minds and consider why something like that might happen. Or what about Proverbs chapter 16, turn there now, and verse 18. Proverbs 16, verse 18. And in verse 18, it's as if the writer is saying to us, um, well, you know, I've been watching the world for quite a long time now, and here's something I've noticed. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. And it's as if he's saying to us, I wonder if you've noticed that. Why do you think that is? And then he leaves us to think about that. Or last example, Proverbs 27, verse 7. Chapter 27, verse 7. Verse 7. He who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry... Even what is bitter tastes sweet. Now, he's not talking about food. No, the writer is saying that, have you noticed that when people are rich and they have everything they've ever dreamed of, it doesn't make them happy. It actually leads to a loss of appetite for life. Isn't that interesting? And then he he leaves us to puzzle over why that might be and and what sort of world we're we're living in uh, where that kind of thing actually happens as a judgment on greed. So can you see from those examples that the book of Proverbs isn't giving us neat explanations for why the world is as it is? That, of course, is what you and I want. We're all so busy. What you and I want is the explanations to be given to us on a plate. But Proverbs doesn't do that. It draws us in and it makes us think. We'll come back lastly to chapter 1 as we consider our sixth observation, the final one. Observation number six. Wisdom only makes sense in relationship with God. Because you see, verse 7 is the punchline, isn't it, to the introduction. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, the fear of the Lord there is talking about, it's talking about real religion, real Christianity, real faith. It means the reverent love of the child of God for the Father, uh, the love of the creature for the Creator. And I think maybe the uh, fear of the Lord 
is a bit like our attitude to the ocean, to the sea. Uh, Living in Cape Town, we all love the sea. Uh, We like looking at it. We like swimming in it when it's warm. But we don't take liberties with the sea, do we? Because it's infinitely deeper and greater and stronger than we are. And the fear of the Lord is rather like that. And it's the beginning of wisdom. In other words, this fear of the Lord is not something that we pick up very briefly at the beginning of our Christian journey and then leave behind, rather like those pebbles that I spoke about on the beach a moment ago. No, this fear of the Lord is actually the governing principle without which wisdom makes absolutely no sense to us. Please notice that the word Lord in your Bible is in capital letters. And uh, I think most of you know that when we find the word Lord printed in capital letters, it's referring to the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, uh, the God who spoke personally to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's the God who in these last days has spoken to us by his son. What about the fools in verse 7? Who are they? What is this foolishness? Well, again, it's not a lack of mental ability. No, foolishness in the Bible is living in God's world as if there is no God. So Psalm 14 verse 1 puts it like this. Uh, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I find that verse extremely helpful. Because you see, it's not just talking about the atheist, is it? Uh, The atheist is pretty easy to spot. Now, Psalm 14 verse 1 is saying that the fool might actually be in church on Sunday morning. Because with his lips... He can say, I believe in God. He can do that. But in his heart, in the place where he makes all his decisions, where he sets his priorities, what he actually thinks is, there's no God. And that is the governing principle of his life. And God says that someone like that is a fool. By contrast, wisdom is given to us when we are in a right relationship with the Creator. And I just want us to think for a moment about why that should be the case. Because I think verse 7 is making a pretty enormous claim. Interestingly, there's quite a big chunk of material in chapters 22 through 24 in Proverbs, uh, which Solomon and the other writers of the book borrowed from Egypt. I wonder if you knew that. Uh, There's some older material there which we know came from Egyptian wisdom literature. And uh, the wise men of Israel quite clearly borrowed it and they adapted it and they said, look, I'm telling you this so that you will put your trust in the Lord, capital letters. Now, isn't that interesting? 
that they should take that material from Egypt, from a pagan culture, and say, the only way you can ever make sense of what they wrote in Egypt is in the context of a relationship with the Creator, who is the Lord. And uh, before we finish this morning, uh, I think the reason for that is actually worth thinking about for a moment. You see, why does science work? Well, when a scientist uh, looks at the physical world or he looks at the biological world, he's looking for order, isn't he? And that's what the scientist does. He looks for regularities in the physical world. And science works because there is order in the physical world. God has put order or laws into creation. And if God hadn't actually done that, well, science would be a complete waste of time. Wisdom is the equivalent of science in the sphere of human relationships. So wisdom is looking at human relationships and saying, is there a kind of order here? Why do people react in the way that they do? That's what wisdom literature is doing. And the reason that it works is because there is a creator. And it works for us in the context of a right fear of the creator. Well, let's pull all of this together. Wisdom is about the real world. So it's very practical to open the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is for real human beings who are imperfect. And it provides the discipline or the instruction that imperfect people like me and you need. It's moral, not just intellectual. So it's going to affect our will and the choices we make for our lives. It's for all stages of life. You can never outgrow it. It draws us into the learning process and makes us think. It teases us with riddles. But most important of all, it only makes sense in relationship with God. And that's the most important thing about it. So as we draw our series to a close, think about Solomon. Because when Solomon walked closely with God, well, he was wise and successful, wasn't he? We saw that at the beginning of our series. But when he allowed his wives to lead him away from the Lord he began to follow other gods. And in the end, by the end of his life, Solomon became the fool of Psalm 14, verse 1. And he lost everything. Well, let's be quiet and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about our world, we see so much brokenness and pain. And we know that all of it is a consequence of men and women 
turning their backs on you and being foolish. We thank you that it won't always be that way and that we can look forward to life with you in a perfect world without death or mourning or crying or pain. But in the meantime, while we wait, please help us to live wisely, to live by the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that we find in your word in books like Proverbs, the wisdom that we find supremely in the Lord Jesus. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.